As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Bankcast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. The Canucks out on a six-game road trip, so you don't have to worry about Canuck tickets at Rogers Arena right here, right now, but be sure to check out the GameTime app for all of the best deals on show tickets and theater tickets as well. And there's an easy two-tap checkout. So uh, it's as easy as you can imagine to use. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and as I said, it's easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Reporting to start your week from Dallas. The Canucks will open a six-gamer against the Stars on Tuesday night. And before we get into hockey and the weekend that was, the Canucks lost to Colorado and Matt Calvert and everything else, Trancer, we're just lucky to be here recording this podcast because you and I shared a flight from Vancouver to Dallas. I had an aisle seat. I missed out on all the excitement, but you had a window seat. Apparently, our lives flashed before our eyes. <laughs> yeah, there was a Southwest flight about 45 minutes from us landing in Dallas that seemed to take evasive action about, I'd say, about 400 to 300 feet out from our flight, uh, you know, on the starboard side where I was sitting right along the window. And I just sort of opened my eyes and... and looked at it and I thought, wow, you know, that plane's relatively close to us. And then it shot up with that sort of trail of, um, you know, a uh, vapor behind it, uh, which was impressive. But, you know, it's really rare to see a jetliner take any kind of significant action in the sky, right? Like these really are Ferraris that drive at 20 miles per hour on the highway. So always, always sort of exciting. And, you know, again, it, it made a move at, the, at a safe distance, but it's just so weird to see a plane, A, make any sort of maneuver in the air and B to do so outside your window and not by more than you know a mile 
uh, was uh, was pretty interesting to me anyway. <laughs> my, my comfort is that I was completely oblivious to all that. Uh, I'd still be having, like, I wouldn't have slept last night. I've been freaking out. But you talked about vapor trails. Uh, we saw one on Saturday night. JT Miller certainly did as Nathan McKinnon blew past him in overtime. I mean, damn, McKinnon put on a show. It was a fun night of hockey from the black uniforms to the fact that the stars were out and shining. But the game also took on, you know, yet another troubling trend for the Vancouver Canucks, and that is falling behind, playing catch-up, you know, chasing the game, stretching or shortening their bench, stretching the ice times of key guys. And, you know, credit to them for finding a way to manufacture a couple of late goals, but it's a dangerous way to play. Maybe not as dangerous as two airliners coming a couple <laughs> hundred feet apart from each other, but they got to figure this out. They can't be playing catch-up all the time. It's true. And, and, you know, one thing to note, I suppose, is they've really been playing catch-up largely because they can't buy goals at 5-on-5 five five right now. Uh, you know, in the month of November, since the calendar turned and they had that back-to-back -back set against the Ducks and the Sharks to open the month, you know, the Canucks have four forwards who scored an even-strength goal all month. And one of those forwards is Brandon Sutter, which sort of speaks to how long it's been since he hasn't played in, you know, now a week. Uh, I'd expect some kind of update about him on Monday. So, you know, when you're not scoring, when goaltenders are stopping 95% plus of every shot you're sending at them, uh, you know, it's hard to build a lead. And it's sort of the exact inverse of what we saw in October where the Canucks were playing with three, four goal leads and still pushing play. And, and, you know, it was pretty impressive. I think it's such a tough sort of thing to say because you do sort of the results color perception to such a large extent, mine included, but you know, I keep checking back to these numbers and I keep checking back to what's underlying their performance. And I keep watching how they're handling teams five on five and and there's maybe too many missed shots maybe there's sort of uh, some attempt inflation relative to them actually being direct and getting those shots on goal and they've kind of talked about that but i still just see a team that's controlling play night in night out i mean the nashville game being one of the lone exceptions certainly the lone exception on this past four game homestand and if you're controlling play like that five on five consistently you tend to be a playoff caliber team. Now, you know, it's so congested in that Pacific Division that I, I'm, I'm not ready to make any proclamations or, or grand predictions. This isn't Tim Schaller 2.0, but, uh, you know, the Canucks are, to my eyes anyway, and, and in a macro sense, because there have been some tough games here and there, Chicago and Dallas stand out. Uh, but big picture view, this Canucks team still looks to me like they're doing things mostly the right way and, and getting mostly the results they want. And I think you're right. If there are sort of warning signs, it is Edler's ice time and whether or not that top pair can hold up and Bo Horvat's ice time. And, you know, Bo Horvat's sort of run of luck has actually worsened in the month of November. And we were talking about him as being due as we left the month of October. But that said, you know, he's playing these huge minutes and he looks to me to be playing a little bit slower, a little bit more to conserve his energy. And when we think about how we've seen Bo Horvat produce that offense in the past, it's off the rush, right? It's using his speed through the neutral zone. And we're not seeing a ton of that. I don't necessarily think that it's unrelated to his minutes burden. And so one wonders if he'll regress to the extent that we might expect. 
uh, so long as he continues to log this kind of ice time. Yeah, man, it is crazy to think about the even strength scoring and where it's gone right now. You know, on the homestand, they scored three goals at 5-on-5, five five, and one of them was Troy Stetcher in that Dallas game. To your point, then, the other two were Vertanen and Pedersen. So two forwards on a four-game homestand scored at 5-on-5 five five against Colorado. You know, two conventional power play goals and two six-on-five goals. Really, one was six-on-four because Calvert was down, and I mean, we can get into that. I know the Avs were furious and some really pointed comments. I mean, ultimately, they got what they wanted, and that was uh, a win out of the hockey game and the fact that Calvert, I think, is going to be okay. But, you know, you look at the homestand for the Canucks. They go one-two-and-one. Again, good on them for grinding to the final buzzer the other night to get a single point where it looked like they were going to get nothing. But... You know, their power play was 40% on the homestand. Six for 15, and that delivers one victory. Like, the game, for the most part, is played at even strength. And that's why this is a concern that there's a disconnect right now between all the good things they're doing and the finishing touch of putting pucks in the net. And, you know, maybe you talk about Horvat and he's overdue. I mean, maybe nobody right now is due a goal more than Sven Berchi, the way he's playing, and on that line. And he's a part of that line with Adam Gaudet right now. And, you know, what a coming out party for Gaudet, taking the most of the opportunity with Sutter and Beagle out of the lineup to move back to the middle. Uh, but again, his production coming on the power play. But still, and I know Harm has written a piece about, you know, the improvement in the two-way profile of Adam Gaudet. It does sort of feel like this maybe is the week that Adam Gaudet has become a full-time National Hockey Leaguer. Yeah, you know, I think the two-way play is there in a, in a different way since, the, since he came back from Utica than it was in those first three games. And, you know, there have been a couple of sort of stages of this where he's gotten the lineup and he's played pretty well. You know, he's certainly competed hard. And it's not unusual to see that adrenaline bump, which, you know, the second time out when he got back in the lineup after being scratched in Winnipeg, I kind of thought that maybe that was what we were seeing again. But he's kind of sustained it, and he's kind of played pretty well. And that levo berchi Gaudet line found some pretty significant chemistry. At least it looked like they did uh, against Colorado on over the weekend. So, you know... There are tangible signs that Gaudet's may be coming around. I, I do wonder, too, if you're looking to manage Bo Horvat's minutes and get another right-handed shot on PP1, which, you know, didn't power Vancouver's 40% on that homestand. You know, I, I almost wonder if that might be an area where you might look to use Gaudet more, especially if, you know, and, and look, the improved two-way profile is real. The events against rate are still really high. Teams are still generating a lot when Gaudet's on the ice. Now, that said, so are the Canucks. And, and anyway, so long as it's closer to even, that's a huge improvement for a player at Gaudet's stage of development. But, you know, if you were looking for sort of an area where maybe you could increase his role, increase his value, uh, w without sort of exposing him to some of the matchup rigors that the Canucks are going to see on this road trip, especially with Gaudet in the middle. That line will probably get jumped a few times here and there, and it's going to be a significant test for him. Uh, but so, you know, I do wonder PP1, maybe sort of putting him on that sort of left side half wall where uh, Brock Besser's been sort of living for the last two and a half years, moving Besser to the bumper role, which he's comfortable in. He played in college. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw them sort of experiment with that, especially if PP1 continues to run cold here. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, they'll have a practice here in Dallas before they take on the Stars. 
won't be many practices along the way on a, a six-game road trip like this one. So uh, it'll be interesting to see sort of the work that they do when they actually have some practice time. And I think one area, too, and not that they're going to be able to practice this necessarily, but, you know, for all the attention that we have placed on the goals and the fun and the power play and all the offensive things that the Canucks have done very well for the most part of the season, you know, now you look, you know, Nashville scored three against them. Dallas got four. Colorado in overtime got a fifth on them. You know, there has been a tiny bit of slippage defensively, and I think some of that too, you know, not Thatcher Demko's best outing of the season by a long stretch the other night against Colorado. I know Markstrom wanted that uh, Radulov goal when it was 3-2 to two and the Canucks were just a shot away. You know, when Radulov scored, that essentially sealed the deal against Dallas. So the goaltending maybe hasn't been at the level that it was in the first 10 to 15 games, but, you know, all of a sudden... If you're not scoring, you're not scoring at evens, you got to find a way to tighten it up a little bit defensively. And, and Travis Green pointed to, you know, the way that Dallas forced the Canucks into mistakes and turnovers and then made them pay. And that's why it's fascinating that they get another look at the stars here to start this road trip as well. But, you know, it's going to be tough. If they're giving up 3-4-5 on a given night, it's going to be difficult to win. I think there's some frustration about that defensive sort of track record beginning to seep in and you know, just to the rank and file, you know, I, I kind of had an opportunity to chat with Bo after the game in uh, Vancouver for the Colorado game. And I think that was really, you know, Bo's such a, I mean, I think Bo's an emerging leader for this team, obviously, but Bo's such a team first guy that he's not going to complain openly about anything, even if, you know, that rotating cast of line mates is, you know, frustrating, or even if, you know, the minutes that he's playing are are tough on him right he's not someone who's going to come out and say any of those things and and fair enough but I think where he is frustrated and where he'll admit that he's frustrated is the team's defensive performance and I think they understand that the club needs to be a little bit less permissive and you know I don't know if they have the personnel to do it this is not a team built to win 3-2 generally speaking right this is a team that's built to outscore opponents to (coughs) kind of use their speed to play some run and gun and you know, that's, I mean, I just think that's the reality of the situation. I think that's a big reason why you see them play Alex Edler so much, right? That's a big reason you see them shorten the bench. Um, you know, that's a big reason you see Travis Green hunting matchups for Jay Beagle and, and on and on. I mean, I don't think there's a ton of plus defensive stoppers on this club. Uh, two pretty young top six centermen, for example, and Bo Horvat, as we've discussed, I mean, you know, he's a useful two-way piece, but the defensive side of the, the game isn't his calling card yet. And, you know, when you ha- when you throw Goddard in at your third-line center, and, and we've already discussed that, I mean, this is a team that's going to give up some goals and, and probably need to win some high-event hockey games. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll sort of see. I think goaltending masked some of those issues in the first 15. I think the goaltending stayed pretty decent. I mean, I know, you know, Demko's short-side blocker and... Markstrom's sort of been a little bit less consistent. I, th- I think he's below 900 save percentage over his past six games. But, you know, when you consider everything that Markstrom, for example, was facing on the rush against Dallas, right, or just the way that Nathan McKinnon, but but other Avs players too, were able to take a can opener to Vancouver's defensive structure on, on Saturday, you know, there's more going on here than just goaltending regression. There's sort of a team that's, if they're all dialed in, 
maybe about average defensively by NHL terms. And, and it's hard to win like that sometimes, especially when the bounces dry up for you. And that's sort of why we've seen the Canucks, you know, take seven points from nine games in November and sort of come back to the pack. And we'll sort of see, but these are some really tough opponents to have to find your defensive game against as they as they head out on the road here. What do you think Demko's performance against Colorado does to this goaltender conversation? Had he been able to deliver a win, he would have had more wins than Jacob Markstrom. There's already sort of these rumblings out there that, you know, he should be playing more than he is, and I think he has played more than I think a lot of people anticipated he would, which is a reflection of his performance up to the other night. And, look, everybody's allowed an off night. It really was his first of the season. But I just wonder... You know, had Demko been able to author a victory against the high-flying Avs, and it was interesting to me too, the distribution of the goalie starts on the homestand. You know, Markstrom, and we know what he's been dealing with away from the rink on the personal side, but his two starts were against a low-scoring, boring New Jersey team and a low-scoring, boring Dallas team, where Demko got thrown to Nashville, and the Preds aren't the Preds of old. Like they score a bunch, oh, yeah. they give up a bunch right now, but. They came into Vancouver as one of the higher scoring teams in the league. And then we know about Colorado, even without Landeskog and uh, Rantanen, you know, and Wilson and Jost the other day. Like, they were missing a ton, but they had McKinnon. And so it just it was interesting, the disparity of the starts, the quality of opponent that Demko saw on the homestand as opposed to Jacob Markstrom. But I just wonder, you know, a, a subpar performance from Demko the other night, does that maybe dampen the conversation around the goalies as they head out on this road trip i at least think it normalizes it or or puts it sort of back on the back burner which is where it belongs for now i mean i think jacob markstrom's this club starter and i don't think there's a ton of appetite internally to deviate from that but that said i think you can read a lot into the fact that demko started on saturday i mean i thought that was a pretty interesting sort of decision and the first kind of sign where I was like, oh boy, you know, all these rumblings that I've been sort of waving away, um, you know, at the sort of fringes of this Canucks fan base, which loves nothing more. There's two things that the Canucks fan base absolutely loves. One is misery and the other is backup goalies. Like that is the absolute sort of center of gravity for this sort of Vancouver hockey fan base. And fair enough, the history sort of backs it up. But when you sort of get to the conversation around these goalies in this market, the first time I kind of thought and started to side-eye it as legitimate was when the Canucks decided to start Demko on Saturday. And, you know, I think the fact that Demko played pedestrian, right? It wasn't his best. It wasn't his worst. Certainly not on him by any means. And, you know, I think now we can sort of safely assume that the Canucks will start Markstrom on, you know, Wednesday in Dallas or Tuesday in Dallas, I think we can safely assume that if, you know, Markstrom gets hot, he'll he'll ride for a bit. And that's what we expected all season. I mean, the fact that Demko's played so much uh, does sort of reflect a, what his performance, especially when Markstrom flew back to Sweden, right? And um, B, sort of the Canucks making some elective Demko starts in the time since. And they need to do that. I mean, Demko wasn't even going to get to... 20 starts on the season unless the Canucks opted to play him over Markstrom on games when they were both reasonably available, i.e. not back-to-backs and not any sort of three and four stretches. So, you know, with all the extra starts he's got, I mean, you can still sort of see him getting 23, 
based on how the schedule plays out the rest of the way. If you want to get him to 25-27, you know, you need to make more decisions like the one we saw the Canucks make on Saturday in Denver or against Denver. And, you know, I expect they'll be more comfortable, more confident in making those decisions going forward just based on how Demko's played and, you know, the fact that he's earned some more ice. Well, it'll be interesting to see a six-game road trip with no back-to-backs. The back-to-back comes at the tail end when they play the Oilers home-and-home, but uh, in terms of the six road games, no back-to-backs. So, you know, there is a chance here for Markstrom to play and play a lot and rest between starts, and it'll be interesting. I, uh, you know, I would anticipate a four-and-two sort of split between these guys, but, again, a lot of that will be performance-related, and, and the Canucks are in a great spot to know they've got the luxury of a backup that they can turn to. Uh, but I'm with you. I, I still think through all of this, even though they've alternated starts over the last six games, that Jacob Markstrom is the clear-cut number one in the eyes of the coaching staff and management for now. And and I know it's a big year for him with a contract and there are decisions to be made there. But just in terms of the workload, uh, I don't think anything really has changed from the start of the season that Markstrom is the guy. Hey, you know what time it is here on the VanCast? What time? Well, it's straight up time to tell you about <laughs> Roman. Look, talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off, blame ourselves, say stuff like, ah, I lost my mojo, or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, hey, I had a long day, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real doctor who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. And it's as simple as checking out the promo code that we're offering you here on the VanCast. You go to roman.com slash Canucks, get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com slash Canucks for a free visit to get started. Getroman.com slash Canucks. Canucks need to uh, stiffen up the uh, defensive aspect of their hockey game, as we mentioned. And look, one of the areas when we talk about uh, maybe the fact that there's been a little bit of lapse defensively is the penalty kill too and that shouldn't be a huge surprise with both Sutter and Beagle out and some other guys have been forced into that but you know again so much focus on the power play how good it's been but that has overshadowed when you go back to Chicago scored a couple of goals in the power play Winnipeg turned that game on its ear with a first power play and then cashed in on a second power play you know Colorado the other night uh, the McKinnon one-timer what an absolute rocket I'm glad for Chris Tanev's sake that he didn't get in the way of that one because uh, we saw that in Winnipeg with the Patrick Lyon a shot but you know again that's another area where there's and and maybe the bar was set too high in the early going this season when they get back to full health though I still think they can be a very good penalty killing team but in the here and now I mean, that's one of the reasons that, you know, a goal here, a goal there, uh, going in on the Vancouver Canucks because the penalty kill hasn't been as good as it was earlier in the season. Yeah, and, you know, I look at it, and I, th- I think that's mostly just that they were running super hot on the PK early. You know, I still look at them being pretty good at denying entries here. I still sort of look at them as being disciplined within that structure. And, obviously, you lose Beagle and you lose Sutter, and, and it hurts. But I thought Bo Horvat did a pretty good job, especially in the circle shorthanded against Colorado in the absence of sort of Vancouver's two most frequently used uh, penalty-killing centers. Uh, I thought Tanner Pearson looked really good killing penalties, and I I suppose that's not a huge surprise. The uh, sort of all-around utility that a guy like Beagle has really brought, though, is, is, you know, the Canucks are one of four teams in the NHL with a PK face-off winning percentage above 50%, right? In the in the wake of those rule changes, we're seeing power play 
Face-off rates spike a little bit here. Beagle's been a crucial part of them sort of being able to, um, you know, hold the fort on that end. And, I mean, that matters especially because I think the Canucks are pretty calm, right? They're pretty positionally sound. Uh, and they trust the, those flankers, those D, to eat those shots, uh, the line A shot, those shots off the flank. Uh, but, you know, they're not a pressure PK in zone. They're not sort of super aggressive. And as a result, they tend to give up a fair bit once teams are set up, which sort of places that additional premium on those faceoff wins. And that's kind of where I expect we'll see some slippage, especially if Jay Beagles doesn't return this week, though I think he's pretty widely expected to. It's funny. I mean, there's always a lot of talk in the hockey world about face-offs and the importance of them. And then you see, like, Bo Horvat had a night for the ages against Colorado. I mean, he played 26 minutes. He won 26 face-offs. Like, in the last decade, there have only been six guys in the NHL that have won more face-offs in a game. Patrice Bergeron had 31 uh, against the Canucks, interestingly enough, a bunch of years ago. But... You know, so just kind of putting it in uh, historical context in the last decade. I mean, 26 face-off wins in a game is a ridiculous total. And like he absolutely owned Nathan McKinnon in the face-off circle. But, I mean, you tell yes. me, which would Bo Brother <laughs> have owned? Uh, you know, the win at the end of the night or this crazy face-off record? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a skill that he has. It's a skill that he's able to bring to the mix. But it is kind of funny, too, when a guy can be that dominant in the face-off circle on a given night and yet maybe the most important face-off was the one in overtime when the Avs took the puck and didn't look back. You know, thinking back to that McKinnon goal, which, you know, when you're in the press box, right, you watch the game winner, you know, you quickly sort of file it away. You maybe make a note or two to ask a question about it afterwards, and, you know, you go down. And when Travis was discussing that goal, he was like, I got nervous when Nathan McKinnon crossed the other blue line, right? And... I went back up and I sort of threw on Sportsnet and I was watching the post-match analysis. So Kevin BX, I thought, did a really good job. But he sort of pointed out how, um, you know, Tanev didn't take the gap on McKinnon basically as a new, as a as a four-checker in, in that sort of spot. And, uh, and when you sort of see that highlight and see just how much speed he gathered as he slingshotted, um, you know, what a... What an insane performance. And and let's let's quickly unpack the Calvert thing, too, because the Canucks have seen this situation happen a couple times. You know, obviously in Winnipeg as, as green-sided postgame, but, but for me also the Sautner sort of episode is the more instructive because that was a, you know, a head injury or at least a potential head injury. And as a result of the officials not stopping play, right, not only was he on the ice for an additional 30, 45 seconds, but he was on the bench for an additional three, four minutes because of its location vis-a-vis -vis the locker room in that barn, um, you know, in San Jose. And, you know, I do wonder, obviously the officials have discretion where they can blow play dead, but I do wonder if a point of emphasis should be made where I don't think it makes sense to make it an automatic stoppage just because hockey is such a hard sport to sort of, uh, you know, control, but a point of emphasis where if there is a head injury, maybe lean toward being cautious, uh, especially earlier in the or especially when the games, you know, at this point of the season feel a little bit less, you know, in the playoffs, maybe it's a little different, but, you know, in that situation anyway, game 22 or game 20 of the season for the Canucks, um, you know, certainly seems like protecting 
the health and well-being of an athlete who is bleeding from their head on the ice um, should take pretty clear precedence over the flow of play. And, you, you know, I, I don't think you need to change the rule. I don't think you need to make a, a sort of separate rule. I th just think a simple point of emphasis in the event it's a head injury, maybe let's lean toward, you know, prioritizing caution, the player's health a little more, stop the play. I, I think it's a pretty easy fix. And, and I think, you know, no one wants to see a, a goal scored in that circumstance or play continue in that circumstance. And, and thankfully, it looks like Calvert's gotten okay injury news. Yeah, I mean, I kind of take my cue from Elias Pedersen seemed surprised that play yeah. wasn't blown dead. And here are the Canucks pressing. And ultimately, I mean, that was a huge point in the game because they got the goal they needed then to set up the, the tying goal. But even in that moment, like Pedersen showed concern. And look, hockey players, I think you have to give them collectively the benefit of the doubt that you know, they're not going to use it as any kind of tool. Like, can you imagine the the blowback against Matt Calvert if he did pops that up. to get a whistle and then just pops up and skates away? Uh, he probably wouldn't get out of the building, but he might not even get out of his own locker room, right? Like, I mean, hockey players just aren't cut from that cloth. So you had to know in that situation that he was hurt. I mean, there's four officials out there. You would think that somebody... I know the puck moves quickly and they're all trying to watch a lot of things going on, but you would think somebody had seen that it hit him in the head that, you know, there was some, some concern there and there was still enough time. Like there's nothing to say that the Canucks, you know, yeah, they would have been pissed because they had momentum and they had the puck and stuff, but there was still time, almost three minutes left. You know, they could have still, I suppose, mounted their comeback. It very well may have altered the way the game finished, but you know, first and foremost is the health of these guys, especially when it comes to the head. So, um, Canucks get a little bit of a favorable bounce there. I don't think there's much doubt about that, but they kept on pushing and they got the goals they needed to get that game to overtime. And, and then we know how it ended. Uh, speaking of endings, let's wrap this one up. Six game road trip for the Canucks starts in Dallas. Let's go through the power rankings of the cities that we are going to visit Ooh, here. Okay. Because uh, it's gorgeous. We should be doing this outside today here yeah. in Dallas. I know people in Vancouver won't want to hear that, but uh, we're off to a nice start with the weather. We survived the uh, close call in midair, but the payoff is a couple of nice days in Dallas. Then on to Nashville, then D.C., and then Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and it finishes up in Edmonton, who, uh, who's who got top spot on the, the power rankings for the road trip. You know, this is a tough one. I, I'm, I maybe we maybe give it to Dallas this time around just because the weather gives them such an edge. You know, I, I've been threatening to drag you to Pecan Lodge, uh, you know, a world famous sort of barbecue spot on Tuesday. It's closed on Monday, unfortunately, right? So it's one of those where we're gonna have to eat barbecue for lunch on a game day. Not my usual course of action, where I, I'm more of a salad and keep it light before the media meal kind of guy, but. Um, you know, we'll, uh, I think, have some brisket on, on, on Tuesday pregame. So, um, you know, I, I wonder if the weather sort of pushes Dallas ahead. Nashville, for me, usually one of my all-time favorites, just as it goes. Um, there's a ton to do there. I've visited, I visited it a couple of times on my own dime, on my own time. Um, you know, I just think it's a pretty special place. Uh, great food, Some, somehow the best fried potatoes. I don't know why, but Nashville just has the best French fries, best home fries, fried potatoes in any variant. They just crush them in Nashville. And uh, and then D.C. I think D.C. is also like secretly one of the better cities to visit uh, in this National Hockey League, and I'm really looking forward to, to seeing some stuff there. Right, so week one, it, like oh, yeah. clear-cut winner it, with 
all due respect to the other cities at the back end of the trip, the you know the, the good stuff is up front here. We work our way, and probably weather-wise too, as it yes. finishes up in Edmonton. As I understand, you're taking a pass on the Edmonton game, <laughs> sending in your secret agent. Harms getting another chance out on the road at the back end of the trip. But yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to DC. It's an afternoon game, so that'll give us some options uh, Friday night, Saturday night as well. And then you and I, and we did this in the press box the other night. Uh, we bought our train tickets. We're training yeah. from Washington to Philadelphia on Sunday morning. Yeah, we'll take the Amtrak, and then and then, you know, we'll see what the respective clubs' practice plans are. But hopefully, everyone collectively decides because of the flexed Eagles Seahawks game to just not practice for the day and go watch some football in the rain um, because I would love to go see some Seahawks football on the East Coast. And uh, But look, I mean, that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to our sort of riding the rails, um, you know, train adventure. I've even brought like a stick and a bandana so that I can bring my stuff, um, you know, sort of for, for mice and men style. No, we, we, we have seats on these trains. We're not like hopping in the boxcar. Wow. <laughs> Although the idea of Drance is a hobo kind of <laughs> appeals to me. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think we're only limited by our imagination. <laughs> no Sid in Pittsburgh. That's a downer, obviously. And I don't think the Canucks are going to see him. Uh, he's probably out till New Year now in Pittsburgh and Vancouver just before Christmas. So that sucks because uh, he's not going to play forever. We know that. And to miss him twice in a season, they only see them twice. Uh, that's uh, disappointing. Though we do get the Jared McCann show, the, you know, gar hero uh, <laughs> showing up at the top of all of your all-in-one metrics graphs, right? Uh, former Canuck, of course, former Panther, guy I know pretty well. Uh, so he's become he's become the latest fancy stats hero and uh and pittsburgh's sort of crucial centerman here uh with crosby out at least according to the numbers all right you had me at brisket <laughs> by the time we record later in the week i may not have eaten again after uh because i'm with you that sounds heavy but it sounds heavenly too so uh i'm in i'm in we'll go uh we'll have some fun and we'll watch the canucks as they play the stars they'll play the predators and we will uh, re we'll record a another podcast for you later this week here on the athletic and the athletic.com drancer uh for now though uh, we'll go check out the canucks see it we'll take attendance uh, to practice here in dallas and see if they get any bodies back as uh, they embark on the six game road trip well and it is a dress and drive practice which for those who don't know this means that you know the practice facility itself doesn't have suitable locker room accommodations so the team will unpack and all of their gear and all of their setup nhl style at the american airlines arena in dallas they, the players will dress in everything except their skates uh, though some of them may have skate guards or, or, you know, as we've seen some Buffalo Sabres players do, uh, the skate guards that have the wheels on them, the rollerblade sort of skate guards. Uh, but they will walk in full gear and get on the bus. It's the weirdest scene when you look, when you get on a bus and see a sort of bus full filled with NHLers all dressed in completely full gear, just sort of sitting there like they're everyday Greyhound com commuters, right? It's a, it's a weird kind of accommodation. Um, but but always something that I sort of look forward to as just something that's silly as anything. And, and one of the silliest things that happens in the National Hockey League, and it always happens in Dallas. I always liked when they do the dress and drive in Vancouver out at UBC, because here, obviously, they're on the road. They'll take a bus to the practice facility 
Uh, in Vancouver, a lot of times the guys will drive themselves, and you see them out you pop out of their car <laughs> fully dressed except for skates and a helmet, but these guys uh, in their hockey gear. So dress and drive here in Dallas. That's going to do it for this week's Van, or this VanCast at the very least. Uh, for Drancer, it's J-Pat. Thanks so much for checking us out here on The Athletic and TheAthletic.com. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.